It's February 7th, it's a Wednesday, and well, 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 deep breath. Time to rest and digest for the government after an extraordinary last few days in the far north, as iwi from across the motu will be thinking about what's next in the fight for te tereti. Kia ora, this is Newsable, I'm Aaron, and this is what's worth talking about. Pickles, Waiata and a whole lot of politicking, the lowdown on Waitangi and where to from here. What's the real cost of a desk job? We're talking life years and big bills for ACC. Officials are warning New Zealand could be hit by a severe weather event, even worse than Cyclone Gabrielle. And just wait a minute, I'm circling back, I'm double clicking, running it up the flagpole. The rise and rise of corporate jargon. All that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. Put that Waitangi weekend into the history books. A blistering few days of back and forth, to and fro on the paipai, the area in front of the Faranui, the meeting house, and an iwi response that made it crystal clear to this coalition government they oppose any proposal to overhaul the treaty, Te Tiriti o Waitangi. And over the four days, tens of thousands were there to express solidarity, including this hikoi that travelled from the far north. Staff political reporter and friend of Newsable, Glenn McConnell, whose iwi is Te Ati Awa, joins us now. Kia ora, Glenn. Kia ora. Well, what a remarkable last few days in Waitangi, although it was always expected to be testy. How do you think the coalition government will be feeling? The coalition government, when it arrived over the Waitangi weekend, set out what it wanted to achieve. Winston Peters was looking for a fight, he got it. David Seymour did his best to try and convince Te Māori that he actually was on their side. Was he really speaking to them? Did he ever think that the people who travel to Waitangi are going to support a treaty principles bill? No, but he got airtime. He he will be happy. And then Christopher Luxon, who delivered such a boring speech that people just kind of wandered away, uh, himself wandered away on Waitangi Day. He didn't want to speak to reporters about how the weekend went, so I'm not sure he's all that happy about it. Well, I mean... Christopher Luxon's first Waitangi as Prime Minister. Was he Prime Ministerial? What are your marks out of 10? Was that out of character for a Prime Minister not to speak to media on Waitangi Day? It was out of character. Remember Jacinda Ardern, you know, would spend quite a bit of time here on the Waitangi Day. She'd be hosting a barbecue or something. Well, Christopher Luxon spoke to Teheku Media, um, which is awesome, a far north radio station, and then very quickly headed for the Crown Limo to get out of Waitangi. When there are questions over the future of this government, essentially, the Treaty Principles Bill has become so core to the coalition agreement. Wouldn't you want to answer that? Wouldn't you want to put some of that speculation about the stability of the government and the potential for more protest away? Do you get the sense the likes of Christopher Lux and Winston Peters, David Seymour, will actually be responsive to the feedback they received on the pipi? Uh, The three leaders didn't appear to be that responsive to what they were hearing at Waitangi. 
With that said, though, Shane Jones and Tama Portaka, both very senior MPs in this government and New Zealand First and National, did respond to the challenges that were put down at the Porphyry so far. Yeah, tell me more about Nationals Tama Portaka and New Zealand First MP Shane Jones. Like you say, both of them tackled the Tetereti issue head on in their addresses, while others ducked for cover. What role do you think they could play as ACT pushes this treaty principles debate? Both of those MPs are so well-versed in te ao Māori. Shane Jones from Ngāpuhi pointed out that it is rare to see such unity from various groups of te ao Māori and Ngāpuhi as well. He said that doesn't often happen unless they're combining forces to fight a common foe, and he hoped that common foe wasn't him. Tama Portaka said, hey, look, we are not the bad guys. We are here to listen but then their leaders didn't necessarily reflect that in their own speeches. Shane Jones is committing to trying to be a a sort of mediator or or to become more involved in these treaty debates in Parliament. It's hard to see, though, what will happen when, you know, the government's kind of already put its foot down. We've had this massive show of solidarity from iwi. We've had the Kingitangi Hui, Ratana, Waitangi. What do you think that's actually achieved and what's next? It is so unusual to see all of the institutions pretty much of Te Ao Māori sitting side by side. The groups like the Kingitanga and Parihaka don't often become involved in kind of contemporary politics because their history is so rich that, you know, it's a big deal when they come and sit side by side at something like this. There's massive momentum, which is clear from the thousands of people that turned out this weekend. They won't want to lose that. There's no future hui or hikoi planned at this stage. But if the government doesn't listen to some of the concerns raised here, I I would expect this to continue on for quite some time. For good measure then, was there a winner and a loser? Uh, Look, I I think the winner has to be... um, Ngāpuhi and the Waitangi uh, National Trust, this is hard. You know, you have a lot of very disgruntled people, a lot of very powerful people, all, all sorts of people come to Waitangi and they want to be heard, they want to be part of these national debates, and it's all gone off pretty smoothly. Uh, the loser, well, Christopher Luxon, you're just slinking away. On New Zealand's National Day, the leader of New Zealand isn't a great look. Stuff political reporter Glenn McConnell, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Kia ora. Hey you, sore back at work, arms aching. You are not alone. Coming right up are the stats that will have you walking around the block pronto. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, chuck us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform. It'll help other people find us. A recent international study found people who sit for prolonged periods at work have a 16% high risk of death from any cause and a 34% high risk of heart disease, all from sitting at a desk. The conclusion from the researchers is that people need to reduce the amount of time sitting at work and spend more time exercising. But work, whether in an office or outside, can be a dangerous place. We went to ACC to see how many work-related injuries they're currently paying people out for. They told us the bill came in at $4.6 billion between January 1, 2019 to the 31st of December 2023. And at the end of the last year, there were nearly 300,000 active claims relating to a workplace injury. So... 
We all obviously need and want to know how to mitigate these health and injury risks. Here to share some expert knowledge is Kirsten Davey, President of Physiotherapy New Zealand. And Kirsten, are you amazed at those first stats I mentioned? They're 16% higher risk of death because you sat at your desk too long. Yeah, it's shocking, isn't it? Uh, But we do know that our body and all our systems need movement. We need to be moving. We need to keep our fitness up. It's just part of living. Just as simple as that. What are some of the common work-related injuries you and physios around the country see? I mean, looking at the data that ACC has shared with us, it's soft tissue injuries that are the most common, and it's the lower back that's the most common spot where the injury is. Does that match up with what you see? Yes, yes it does. So if we look at the spectrum of workers, you've got this sort of office-based worker, which is quite sedentary, they're sitting a lot. So yes, sitting around poor posture, not changing their posture, um, will contribute to that low back pain that that you've alluded to. Um, But on the other end of the spectrum, people who are in heavy construction work doing a lot of lifting again, that's going to be back-related injuries as well as sort of ankle injuries. Uh, But there is a wider range of injuries, of course, as well. But those low, low back pain is a common injury we see as physiotherapists. And so what are some of the other injuries that you see coming through the door? So office-based workers, administrative um, workers around uh, uh, shoulder and neck pain, again, that sort of sitting sitting in a poor posture. You also get those overused um, injuries, pain down the arm from those mu- that muscle fatigue, from that repetitive action they're using with the keyboard. Whereas people who are outside, you get more ankle-type injuries, especially if they're working on uneven surfaces or slippery surfaces, which, again, you know, builders road workers, the construction workers are more prone to that. So, you know, a wide range of injuries, but definitely you can see those low back pain problems coming through. So things like keeping your arms at a 90 degree angle, I'm never going to be able to do that. Feet flat on the floor, relaxed elbows. But do those kinds of things actually help prevent injury in an office place setting? Absolutely. The back and our body were designed to move. But if we're going to stay in a a static position for a period of time, if we can keep the joints and the muscles in their sort of optimum position, then that's going to be helpful. So if we slouch, have poor posture, we're putting those joints at end range, stretching those muscles, we're more prone to injury at that stage. So yes, adopting some of those good principles is right, but I would go back to the start of what you said, and that was about moving movement and changing our position. So we've seen those sort of sit-stand desks coming in for office workers. That's great. It's They're not moving, but they are changing positions. So that's helpful. But just making sure that you go to the kitchen and grab a glass of water rather than having a water glass sitting next to you, those types of things will really help because you change your position, you get the blood flowing, you're moving. All right, well, I am off for a stroll around the building. Kirsten Davey, President of Physiotherapy New Zealand, thank you very much for your knowledge and tips as well. We're still going to track down where corporate jargon came from, but if you'd like to share with us your most hated example, you can find us on TikTok or Insta. Search for NZ Stuff, or you can send us an email, newsable at stuff.co.nz.
New Zealand's listed as one of the world's most exposed nations when it comes to natural hazard risk. Lloyd's, the international insurance marketplace, made some assessments back in 2018 that ranked New Zealand as the second highest in the world for financial exposure to natural hazards. And those figures are quoted in a just-released briefing to the new Emergency Management Minister, Mark Mitchell. In that same briefing, the National Emergency Management Agency also warns that climate change weather events will ratchet up with storms more severe than Cyclone Gabriel, which was classed as a moderate event. Here to discuss the likelihood of that threat and what we can do to prepare is Niwa climate scientist Sam Dean. Kia ora. Kia ora. Cyclone Gabriel was a pretty terrifying event. If that was only moderate, what would extreme weather look like? Well, I think that was that was definitely extreme weather. I think the Cyclone Gabriel was a a good example of, of a severe weather event in New Zealand causing extreme flooding with stock banks being breached and lots of inundation happening. Could we get a bigger storm than Cyclone Gabrielle? I think we could. Could we get a storm that it covered a broader area of the country at once that like affected multiple regions simultaneously in a similar way to what we saw in Cyclone Gabrielle? Then yes, there's definitely possible. So it's, there's always that chance of a more severe weather event affecting a much larger area, which would be more difficult and complex to deal with. And, you know, we know how difficult and complex um, Gabrielle was. And I, I think also the Auckland floods are a really nice example of a severe, you know, flash flooding in an urban environment. And when that happens, you know, what happens when, a, when, when such heavy rain occurs in a, in a city. So how likely is such an extreme event that covers more of the country at once? And is it more likely due to climate change? You know, an event like that would have a, you're getting up to the 1 in 250 year return period, so you might only expect it to happen once every 250, once every 500 years, something like that, which is a, a truly spectacular worst case event for New Zealand. Often, in most events, climate change, is, we, we talk about it kind of so far, has doubled the risk of these things. So we talk about a 1 in 100 year event has, you know, sort of, a lot of them have come down to sort of a one in 50 year event. Cyclone Gabrielle obviously devastated some regions, torrential levels of rainfall. Is that what can be expected on the ground going forward? I think they're a wake-up call. Gabrielle is a wake-up call. Auckland is a wake-up call that we have to think, you know, we know these things are a risk, but we kind of ignore them a little bit. And we, we especially in our early warning systems, in terms of getting people out of harm's way when when things are turning ugly, that's a big thing for us and climate change yeah climate change is just an, a layer on top that is you know making each of these events a little bit worse a little more likely do you think new zealand is well prepared no i think in, in terms of flooding i think new zealand has a number of barriers within the system to good outcomes we have some good technologies but we don't connect it all together you know we don't make the best use of our radar data for early warning systems we don't make the best use of our weather forecasts we don't make the best use of we don't you know everything's disconnected a little bit we could do a much better job of joining up we're a small country if we can get you know make the use of the technologies and the information we have more effectively we can we can be better prepared. Niwa climate scientist Sam Dean thanks so much for joining us. No problem thank you. 
Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. I played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. Blairy and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and of course everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcast. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your, your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course. <laughs> For many, it's been a lovely, luxurious, long weekend, but it's back to alarms in the workplace for most today and the delight of work jargon or word salad, as a BBC story has described it. It's been looking at the rise and rise of corporate speak, why we all buy into it and where it comes from. Turns out the very real influx of cringe-inducing business language has become a key way of establishing oneself in corporate culture. And it's a prime example of so-called human peacocking. Just like in the animal world, it's a way to unfurl your plumage and show others how capable you are. But where did it come from? Well, we can turn to the military. It infiltrated the corporate world as veterans entered the workforce after serving in World War II. Think boots on the ground. And I must say the expression I personally hate the most has to be learnings. Having worked in the Beehive for some time, you will not believe how many ministers or government departments used that forbidden expression. And don't even get me started on BAU's business as usual, apparently. No, absolutely not. Anyway, that's newsable for today. I'm Aaron Darman. See you later. If you liked listening to this pod, help us make more like this. Visit stuff.co.nz slash support. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So, for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.